1963. Help on the Road came from The Harvest Gypsies by John Steinbeck, a collection of articles run in the San Francisco News in 1936, published by Heyday Books, Berkeley, California, 1988. The WPA Guide to the 1930s, Arizona, compiled by Writers Project of the WPA. University of Arizona Press, Tucson, 1989. Texas, compiled by the Writers' Project of the WPA, Hastings House, New York, 1940, and Route 66, a photographic essay by Quinta Scott, with text by Susan Croce Kelly, University of Oklahoma Press, Norman, 1988. The Dust Bowl by R. Douglas Hurt, Nelson Hall, Chicago, 1981, gives a stark picture of those days. More emphasis on the environment is given in Dust Bowl by Don Worcester, Oxford University Press, New York, 1979. Also helpful were several volumes of This Fabulous Century by Time Life Books, New York, 1969. The Okies, Beyond the Dust Bowl by Williams Haworth, with photos by Chris Johns, National Geographic, September 1984, Volume 166, Number 3, has eloquent photos and useful maps. Many people told me their stories of the 30s. I hope that everyone who remembers those days will find echoes here to touch their hearts and memories. Jeannie Williams, Cave Creek Canyon, The Chiricahua Mountains, May 1991. And now, The Longest Road, Chapter One. April warmth had opened the buds of the little cherry tree to lovely pink blossoms, and its smooth bark was a deep wine color. The sapling had looked dead when Daddy brought the tree home in February from one of his trucking halls out of eastern Kansas. But Lori watered it faithfully, and hopefully with water saved from rinsing dishes. Now, Lori thought, its glory drew the eye from the weathered privy at the back of the lot and the box-like little house with its blistering yellow paint. Maybe this spring would be different. Maybe the winds and dust wouldn't blow, and the tree would flourish, grow big and strong as the black locust in the front yard, the only other tree in this straggle of houses near the edge of town. Suddenly... As she stroked the red bark and tried to imagine that the blossoms smelled as sweet as they looked, the light changed. She turned. Her heart stopped, then plunged and began to pound. Black, towering in the sky. A shadow thickened in front of the sun before obscuring it completely. The sky wasn't really black, but brown like a black horse left out in the weather a darkness not shadowy and soft like night, but thick and weighted. Roiling and billows churned up from the soil as if the earth had spewed up its center, as if its navel cord had been ripped and the insides were erupting. The gleaming galvanized top of the grain elevator vanished first, the second story of the bank, the emblem at the top of the Masonic Hall, then the tall steeple of the Methodist Church, lording it over the white cross of the tabernacle across from the field's house. Jackrabbits streaked by, trying to outrun the stinging blast. Birds flew ahead of it, 
hawks and great horned owls as frantic to escape as the larks, sparrows, buntings, and curlews that were usually their prey. The poor prairie chickens, any of them surviving in bits of unplowed grassland would hunker down and suffocate like the flying birds would when their wings could no longer carry them. Darkness at noonday. Rivers of blood. One shall be taken and the other left. Terror froze Lori. It was the end of the world, the way Brother Crawford was always preaching. Mama and Daddy would be swept away in the rapture and she'd be left with the wicked to pray for the mountains to fall on them while the angels poured out vials of wrath. Only there weren't any mountains here. But there was a tree. A blooming cherry tree. Lori ran inside the screen porch and grabbed a sheet out of the laundry bag.